0: Hey, folks, welcome to the Cosmic Car Wash podcast again. I'm Paul Daly. This is my good friend, Rick Kaiser. Hello, we, everybody. Yes, hello. We are uh, very excited about this today. Um, yeah, it's been a couple weeks since we've recorded, and I think we're kind of getting into this every other week routine, but, you know, we'll get through the holidays and settle into the routine of the new year. And right. It's all right, and I guess it's not so much the the frequency with which we record; it's that uh, what we say matters and is thought out and is words of life. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, Rick, and you know, I know you agree. This is a podcast about the kingdom of God, and right, it's not just two guys getting on here spouting our opinions. I mean, these are our opinions, but we're really trying to say something that will bring life to people and that will make them say, hmm, maybe God's not the angry, surly curmudgeon that I always thought he was. Maybe he really does love me and wants a relationship with me. And, yeah, if that's what people take away from this and people find Jesus, then we have done our jobs and that's a good life.
1: Yeah, it took me a long time to learn that. Too. And it's, it. Um, I don't know if learning is the right description. It was, became a revelation. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's, again, it's one of those clicks that can't be unclicked, you yeah. know, and once it does, it's you can't see anything else but that. And, and then you begin to see, it's like buying a new blue car, you know, yeah and then all of a sudden you see that blue car everywhere everywhere so yeah. yeah since that yeah since that has happened i it's like every time i turn the page in the bible i just see it again and again over and over and it's a beautiful thing it's very very encouraging and it's um such an easier way to live and such an easier way to serve in the kingdom and serve the lord and yes and um it's uh it makes change easier too i know that's been my experience and just even the way i look at people and i know you and i've talked over and over again about you know we were you know hunkered down with the, our bibles or our ammo and <laughs> waiting for whatever i mean right. we weren't
0: perishable to... food and right just... yeah yeah.
1: Our, yeah our jerky our beef jerky and freeze-dried eggs yep. so, yeah yeah so That's not the case.
0: That's not the case. You know, and I'm careful. I'm being progressively more careful when I talk about how we found the message of the great renewal. Because I don't want it to come across as like we have studied and learned and by virtue of our, you know, anything that we have, you know, gotten some higher level of revelation. That's not it at all. Like Mm. the way this happened for me is, you know, it looked at first like I stumbled across the John Eldridge podcast that started this for us. But looking back on it, man, that was that was a divine, God-timed moment. As I was looking through my podcast feed, God said, stop there. And I listened, and I haven't stopped listening since. And it's the grace of God that saved us.
1: Yeah, I think I've listened to that at least 20 times.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's funny is that every time I listen to it, I hear something new. Or Yes. Yeah, Yeah, and you can't walk away from that uh, unchanged. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which, you know, anybody that maybe is not sure what we're talking about, if you go to uh, the search bar on YouTube and look for the Wild at Heart podcasts from September and the first episode in October of 2020, Uh it's a five-part series. The first episode is Time to Get Honest About Our Ambivalence, and then it goes from there to talk about what really is the message of the whole Bible. The The true gospel is right. Jesus didn't just die to save us from our sins. He did that, but there's so much more to the story. Jesus is coming back, and he has always been about restoring us to the Garden of Eden and rejoining heaven and earth. And it's good news.
1: That's great news. Um, yes. That is the news.
0: It is the news. I love what John Eldridge says. Uh, the story of God has been, is now, and always will be the story of the world. That's good. Yeah. So, anyway, this is not the closing. This is the opening. And uh, as you probably have seen when you clicked on this, uh, first of all, thank you for clicking on this. Hopefully we're saying something that uh, lands with Yay. you. We're calling this The Paradise King Part 1, maybe? Yeah, will be a part two, okay. but uh, yeah. Um, listening to the John Eldridge podcast um, a couple months ago, uh, came to find out that uh, one of his sons, Blaine Eldridge, uh, had written and has since released his first book called "The Paradise King," and yes, the Paradise no, King, like backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, and I—I I know I speak for you again cannot stress strongly enough that this should be required reading for Mm. every single Christian. It's My impression of it is it's an incredibly well-researched book that's like a combination of J.R.R. Tolkien and Blaine's ability to tell a story and craft a word picture, uh, but also it's scholarly research that dives into the history and the context and the cultures and the languages and the nuances of things that you just don't read. Yeah. We take for granted. Yeah. We take for granted and it really rounds out. It's not a replacement for the Bible by any means, but it rounds out the stories that we read in the Bible and helps so far, at least that's what it's doing for me. The stories of Adam and Abraham and Noah or not Noah, uh, Moses. And now I'm into King David, uh, helps me understand how they were, why they were, what was going on, you know, in some of these famous stories in the, about their lives that we read in the Bible. It's just really, really a fantastic book on every single level.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> it is stunning. Yeah. That, yeah. Absolutely stunning breathtaking. Um, I started reading it. I'm just getting through Abram, Abraham, not as far as you are, is have to read a little bit and then just kind of sit back. And, um, there is a, a rawness. I, I realized, I told Janet the other day, I said for as many years as I've been reading the Bible, I started reading Blaine's book, the paradise King and realized that I feel like I've never read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I start to see, I, I, and, um, gosh, if I could, articulate this the way that um needs to be is that i i feel like that i've almost trivialized the bible Mm. to where it's almost become a storybook and the characters in it are um you know these happy go lucky um uh storybook characters although i mean i do you know not to diminish by any means i believe it to be real and true but i never understood the depth <clears throat> and um the rawness you know and the brutality and the um uh what's another word i'm looking for is just the the ferocity of some of these characters and their lives, and and the you know and the world around them and what they were going through, and um, these were not people to not be trifled with. You yes. did not trifle with them, and and it uh, just it's, it's uh, terrifyingly beautiful. Yeah, and you it realize, is. yeah.
0: It, I think for me, it's the difference between watching a movie in 2d and then you go into a movie with the 3d glasses and it's such a more immersive experience there you go
1: that's what i was trying to say (laughs) it's very immersive
0: man (laughs) it's yeah
1: i love it i just really do and i imagine it's gonna be one of those books that i'm gonna read more than a couple times agreed agreed you're right i think that every should be required for reading I'm sure Blaine would really appreciate that if it were (laughs) a billion of them.
0: It's available on Amazon. um, And I think that's, that's where he's selling it from right now. But I think a kind of a good way to dive into this and the way you and I have kind of envisioned this episode going Rick is just to take some of the things that we've underlined in the book, as far as we've read it. And uh, maybe we, You know, deep dive into one thing. Maybe we hit some of the highlights, but just really um, some of the things that landed for us personally. And uh, hopefully that'll be enough to encourage others that may be listening to this to go get their own copy and see what kind of uh, really cool adventures they can undercover. But to get started, I think I'd like to read just from the back of the book um, his summary uh, of it. So uh, it says Night Raids, Necromancers, Witch Kings, and Prophets. The Bible is a piercing drama, a tale of prophets and wandering spirits, heroic mothers and flashing swords, cosmic mountains, and dry, shadowy Sheol. It is a true story that defines the nature and purpose of reality, and its claims are astonishing. But few modern readers experience the Bible that way. In this groundbreaking book, celebrated storyteller Blaine Eldridge draws upon years of research to illuminate the story of the Bible through the lives of six kingly characters. From Adam to Jesus, Eldridge combines thrilling retailings of famous stories with cutting-edge scholarship and robust theology to explore topics such as the Bible's picture of evil, its sophisticated supernatural worldview, and its complex picture picture of the human condition. And we should say, too, that the subtitle of the book, uh, The Paradise King, is the tragic history and spectacular future of everything according to Jesus of Nazareth. So that's the whole book culminates with Jesus, the paradise king. So
1: yeah. I think we should probably, as a uh, uh, sidebar, side note, is that we are not paid sponsors. Not at all. even.
0: Blake Just doesn't big, even know we exist.
1: <laughs> exactly. Just big, big fans. That's yeah. all. Huge fans. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that it, being
0: said, if somebody knows Blaine and wants to put him in contact with us, we let's would just love say,
1: to. Blaine could run over us in the grocery store parking lot and would not know who we were. <laughs>
0: <laughs> true story, true story.
1: That's funny. Hopefully he doesn't. So <laughs> So,
0: um yeah, why don't you Rick, why don't you kick it off like starting from uh from Adam, you know, are there any particular parts that really stood out to you was strikingly beautiful or really helped you kind of come to a new appreciation of very yeah. story about him.
1: Yeah. Actually you and I were talking about this before we got started, but it's when, uh, uh, uh when, um, God came walking through the Ruach, the cool of the day, the wind and, um, and they had hidden themselves and they were wearing their itchy fig leaves. And uh, so, and then he clothed them with the skin of an animal. And, you know, for the longest time, I assumed, and you you and I've talked about it, that it was that, you know, bloody lamb skin. You know, we were convinced it was a lamb and it's, um, again, it's that language and and the the depth of study that, brings a whole new life and dimension to the bible and it really is a revelation of the heart of god of the heart of our father and this just wrecked me when i came across it i mean just i couldn't get past it i just could not turn the page yes and uh, the um uh i'll just read briefly um the lord god made garments of skin for adam and his wife and clothed them genesis 321 Coverings of skin. Some theologians think that behind that act lies the first occasion of animal sacrifice, and that is almost certain. In the ancient world, a sacrifice was the seal of a promise. In fact, the Hebrew word for covenant relates to words for cut and eat linking sacrifices to covenant meals. And God had indeed made promises. Some ancient Jews and some less ancient scholars think that it means humans received a new kind of body, one that decayed, and that is possible. Whatever it was, the garments are a surprise. The word is kohoneth. They were not the crude genital coverings Adam and Eve made for themselves, thus withdrawing from intimacy. They were not the hairy tunics so often depicted. They were regal robes, The word kohoneth does not appear again until it defines Joseph's magnificent tunic in Genesis 37.3. After that, it next describes the priest's sacred garments in Exodus 28.4. They were lovely things, and they were meaningful beyond description. In the ancient world, to give a robe was a gesture of adoption. Elijah thus adopted Elisha. Jacob thus designated Joseph. Even then, Yahweh God did not disown humanity. Even then, in that black moment of despair, he did not withdraw his love. Wow. Stunning. Wow. Just, it wrecks me. It. Com- I just have chills because, uh, again, why doesn't everybody know this? Yeah. You know, um, he didn't evict him. He didn't. Hammer a big pink slip on their door, uh, drive him out with a whip, kick you know, kick at him in the backside on his way out. And I love the way Blaine describes you know Adam. He was a king. He was a priest. He was a prophet. Yes. He spoke with God, and God treated him with dignity. You know, and he did not throw a crude sheepskin with blood stains on it and cover them up. He covered them with the same garment that uh, Joseph was covered in that the coat of many colors, it was royalty. He clothed them in royalty. And yeah. And if you go further, um, which really got me. um, Oh, where did I put that? Uh, Excuse me. I'll be right with you.
0: (laughs) Um, Oh,
1: Oh, yes, this is beautiful. But uh, they, you know, they, God decided that they got to go. And uh, so he said, um, from eternity past, the second person of the Trinity has appeared like a man in his youth, though not yet a man. He watched them sorrowfully as they came to the wall, speaking of God watching his creation. And maybe he said, this is Blaine's fantastic imagination. Because it would be true to the story for him to do so. Adam, Eve, and they turned. Yahweh's face was faithful and true. Even that in that hour, he did not despair. At the right time, he reminded them the snake crusher will come. He paused. He took one last look in their faces and he said, Go and go quickly. What hope remains is not behind you. Mm-hmm. I, just, I had a book put the book down dude cuz i started crying i really did it just that just chills me
0: yeah
1: and and i started thinking about that when he said soon the snake crusher will come in god's mind that was soon thousands of years later when jesus came basically was god the father philip if you've seen me you've seen the father yeah to god that was soon so yeah and that just kind of stuck with me so that that is one of that's just i you know i've been reading past that but i go back to that i keep it marked and read it every now and then cuz it's just so beautiful I actually talked about it in church a couple of weeks ago before we started worship and um you know kind of hope it lands that's where, how we started worship that sunday I was talking about the Kohonath and yeah. that god even in our blackest and darkest moments that he clothed Adam and Eve in royalty and um yeah. that's, that's what he does
0: you know if you think about it it really that's a microcosm of everything that Jesus did during his earthly ministry was to restore the dignity to humanity that was stolen by sin and death and just life outside of eden i mean there was demon possession there was blindness there was yeah. uh you know, leprosy and all this just horrible stuff that Jesus came in contact with. And as you were talking, I thought particularly about the story where the religious ruling class, the Pharisees and the Sadducees found this woman caught in the act of adultery and kind of tossed her into the middle of the circle with Jesus and said, the law says this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust and. You know, people have surmised that maybe he was writing out their sins for which they should have been stoned. And uh, then he responded with, you know, let whoever's without sin throw the first stone. But you can kind of look at that as Jesus was responding to the cruelty of religion and evil and wickedness by saying, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He restored her humanity to her. And that's something through our journey as we're continuing to unpack the revelation of what it means for God to restore Eden is humanity is not the bottom of the, the food chain, the bottom of the totem pole. Like we use this excuse of like, well, I'm only human. When you right. make a mistake, I'm only human. God has a much, much different picture of humanity than that. We were created in the image of God, not fingers and toes and, you know, that what it means to be created in the image of God and, and Tim Mackey and John Collins over at the Bible project did a really great job of explaining this, that to be created in the image of God means we were meant to rule like him. Hmm. We were in his function of ruling. So one of the reasons that the, the devil rebelled. Against the that Lucifer rebelled against God is he didn't want to see his place usurped by humanity, that we were these dirt creatures, but we were created to rule alongside God over the entire cosmos and it's such a an amazing and mind blowing view of humanity that we kind of short circuit and start to back away from that because we can't grasp the glory that we were made for, and and Blaine does it a fantastic job of drawing out from the language just how much dignity God mm-hmm. imbues humanity with. Even in the midst of our sin and our rebellion, the greatest hope is not behind us. That's just, that, as I start to unpack that little section that you read there, those are some of the things that I'm thinking is God is restoring humanity to its rightful place.
1: Yeah. I you know this morning, uh during my devotion and when I was praying, um his determination, God's determination is uh, obsessive, it's relentless. Yeah. And that yeah, he and um the, of what he's going to do. It's not he's trying to do, he's going to do. It's I mean, he accomplished it when Jesus said it is finished. And so, and as I was praying this morning, I was praying along those lines that I want to be like that. I want to be relentless yes. and just, um, uh, almost obsessively determined to move in that direction, to move with him. And, um, you know, proximity has been, you know, the my word, word of, the last few months is that proximity is being close and always being aware of my proximity to him. Yeah. Where he is and where I am, and staying in, you know, just the littlest things, even just flipping through channels sometimes. And I'll go, nope, I can't because it's just something, you know, that, yeah. that starts to widen and I don't. I don't like having to, you know, uh, I mean, I can go back anytime I want, but why would I want to leave to begin with? You know, I spent so much of my life like that. And I think so many of us do. And that's where the, um, you know, the frustration and the fog and the disappointment in ourselves. And then it's easy to begin to make excuses. And then it's easier to begin to indict him. And then it's his fault. And um, he is not like that at all.
0: No, he's not.
1: Not at all. He is—he's kinder than the kindest people we've ever met. I think the kindest people that we've ever that we've met personally in our lives and yours and whoever's listening is just a um, a foggy reflection of the depth and the width and the length and the height of his kindness. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's just—you it, uh, can't even love stand it. it. I know. I love it, yeah, so
0: kind of maybe we can move on from that i um yes. there's another section, so in between each of the chapters uh in blaine's book uh each one of these chapters based on a kingly figure from the Old Testament as we're leading up to Jesus, he does a chorus, so between uh Adam and Abraham, there's uh a section, you know the chorus from Adam to Abraham, and one of the things that Blaine writes in here. Uh, it's on page 47 of the book. Uh, he said, The enemy has always worked to remake humanity in its own image, an image of ancient jealousy and ravenous pride. This is the method, false stories, false practices, and false rituals. The stories confuse humanity. The practices compound the confusion, but the rituals, these promote false incarnation. And I think that's the, the tide that God is working against Are these false stories and these false images and really the, the process of us pushing further into the renewal of all things and into what it means to be walking, talking pieces of new creation along with Jesus right now is we are dismantling and deconstructing those false images and those false stories and reclaiming who God created us to be. And that's another way that we can look at Jesus is he is the ideal. He is what humanity was always supposed to be. There you but go. We had to leave the garden, and so he came to restore us. And that just gets right back to the core of the gospel message that we all agree with is that Jesus is the way back to the Father. He's not, the Bible doesn't claim he's the only way to heaven, he's the only way back to the Father. And so just I underlined that just because it's a good level set for me of where am I every day, you know, kind of in Mm -hmm. keeping with your uh, idea of proximity is you're absolutely right is where am I in relation to the father? Am I rooted in this false story, this this, you know, uh, whose image am I embodying today? You know, is it the image of the enemy who accuses God and blames God and makes him the source of all my problems or am I? Right. Returning back to his heart. So
1: that's good. So I I love his, uh, um, depiction of Abram because to be Mm, honest with you, I always, you know, I mean, since I've been reading the Bible, which is a long time, um, you know, there's a big difference between reading and studying yes and again it comes back to that cuz you know it was when i was younger before i started actually writing books i read everything i could get my hands on i was constantly reading i i i could read two or three books at a time oh wow yeah i've been one of those readers and mm-hmm. uh so um uh to further my thought and uh so i hope that helps describe or explain what my point is that the more that you read it over and over without that, um, intricate and, you know, getting below the surface uh, things, they, you know, the shine starts to come off and Abraham became this, um, Oh, this gentle, elderly guy you know and right. with some sheep and his wife and a family and you know they were on this really really long camping trip you know and uh, <laughs> uh yeah you know and uh living in in the wilderness was really like a wilderness i mean you know they had animals they had food they had cool tents you know and um his uh you know, I got in trouble, so he went and rescued him, and it becomes almost fairy taleish. And um, and maybe that's just me. I'm just you know opening my soul here, I guess. Um, and then I started reading this, and yeah. and uh, gosh, um, Blaine's description of Abram, dude, yeah,
0: he yeah. was not a man to be trifled with.
1: Oh no, he did not suffer fools graciously. I mean, he was like uh, you know, uh th- he, he was a and he made Navy Seals look, you know, like boy scouts. I mean, right. this guy, he was uh he yeah, he was not one to be trifled with. And mm. I love his description here, you know, when they take off when he finds out lots been taken yeah. in the family. I mean, he he's the tunnel vision and yeah. they take off and he pushes his arm. What has it got? Like 318 guys? 318 men. Yep. Yeah. 318 men. And I bet every single one of those guys was just as, uh, ruthless and efficient and ferocious as Abram. Again, yes. these, yeah. Um, and it's, hmm. he says, but Abram was no tenderfoot. He was smart as a raven and he knew war. Hmm. His 318 men were tested fighters, Aner, Eskol, and Mamre, I don't know if I'm pronouncing those correct, who'd come were ferocious. Abram knew if you have to fight a superior force, you do it at night. When it retreats, you dog it like bad luck. Oh, <laughs> I love that, man. Yeah. So yeah. I completely have this, it just obliterated yes. my, yeah, my, uh, Imagination of what Abram was, you know, this dusty old grandpa that you know sat on the porch and yeah, and yeah. dude, I mean, I just see him ripped, you know right,
0: just yeah, a... you know, and I love to kind of round that out um the same uh same chapter here on uh, on Abram, he says, uh, Ephraim described abram abram as a mighty prince, and he must have been Abram converses with Pharaoh and the Philistine king, oh yeah. Not many people could stand on their own feet before such kings, so it's clear that Abram was an entity, was a known entity of no small power. Also, Abram maintained a private army. It was skilled and renowned enough that the solitary refuge of Sodom sought out Abram instead of the nearby kings who could have intervened. Also, Abram clearly had good relationships with many surrounding cities and tribal chieftains. The king of Sodom deferred to Abram's authority, and so the picture is one of a great nomadic chieftain, canyon battle and a capable politician whatever abram learned on the outskirts of ur he did not forget it
1: i i I know yeah he he put some serious work into this at the beginning of that on page 51 in the cliff notes i guess uh for those interested in how scholars figure this out The main clues that help a person date the patriarchs are the customs that characterize their lives. While there are several dating systems in the Bible, these do not always agree. Not even the genealogies are complete. Instead, researchers look for social clues. For example, in the 1920s, archaeologists found some texts called the Nuzi Tablets near the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq. These hail from the early 2nd millennium BC and detailed customs that may relate to Abraham's story. In particular, the giving of a slave or servant to produce an heir when no heir comes. So there is so much history. You know, and I heard a long time ago, and uh, I've often quoted to other people when, you know, I always run into people, unfortunately, that say, you know, the Bible is just a big fairy tale. It's not true. And um, it it is the most, uh, most authenticated piece of literature on the planet. Yes. It can, my, you can, my
0: orders of magnitude.
1: Yes. Yeah. You could destroy a third of the documents that supported it would still stand on its own. Whereas yeah. the writings of Plato and Socrates, Socrates,
0: Socrates, I know what you did there. Yeah,
1: Socrates, um, if you destroyed theirs, they would they would be gone forever or the Bible just continually, you know year after year, decade after decade, uh, they completely find more and more proof and whether it's, you know, uh, archaeological or historical or just whatever they find complete just continually supports and confirms the story of the Bible. So yeah, I just that just fascinates me that he got into the weeds on that. I mean, we're talking like the thick weeds. And, uh, I love it. I love it. It just, it, again, it brings a broader perspective for me. And, um, and that just fascinates me. It, the Bible is already alive. It lives and breathes sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between bone and marrow and soul and spirit. But this man, this cuts to the quick, it yeah. gets deep and, yeah. and it brings a, uh, a fearful respect for me. Yes. And that's deeper. A good way to put it. It's yeah, it brings a fearful respect in me that I, I I find it difficult to put to words or it makes me sit back and go. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. And there's yeah. I love it. Yeah, you
0: know, and when you really start to dive into the culture and the history that the Bible was written in, it gives you an appreciation for the sophistication of mm-hmm. their worldview and the genius of those writers. I mean, we know it was written, as Peter said this, that no prophet ever wrote of his own accord, but he wrote as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's that. But also the the people that put the Bible together were, in the words of Tim Mackey, serious like Bible nerds. They, they studied and they knew their languages and they knew their culture and they crafted word pictures and stories specifically to communicate certain ideas. It wasn't just a bunch of hillbillies out (laughs) wandering around in the desert of the Middle East, you know, scratching down, you know, what they had for dinner that day. It was, I mean, highly, highly sophisticated people. So I think there's a sense of like maybe arrogance about our culture and our time that we think because of the progress of learning and education and technology, maybe we are somehow smarter or more advanced but that's absolutely not the case. That's my kind of takeaway from as you and I are reading things like this and all the stuff yeah. that uh, is put out by the Bible Project, like highly, highly intelligent, sophisticated people.
1: Yes, brilliant, brilliant people. I know, and uh, it it uh, it's a little unsettling that we, you know, you. Turn on social media, and you have preachers and teachers and denominations fighting over um, you know different Bible translations, as opposed to getting into the meat of like yeah. things like
0: this, as
1: you know, King James NIV. and all.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm thinking too about uh, I I forget the address in Proverbs, um, but it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of Kings to uncover them. And I think that's, I think that's the purpose of biblical scholarship is God has kind of hidden these Easter eggs all around creation and in scripture. And I think like, let me go back to uh, an experience that I had earlier this year. Uh, Our great niece came over to our house uh, for Easter, and uh, she was about two and a half years old at the time. Absolutely adorable. And I had a basket of a dozen or so Easter eggs, and I went and hid them around the yard. And then I walked with her and kind of helped her discover them. Uh, and it was one of the most enjoyable, beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And as soon as she found all 12, she wanted me to hide them again so we could go find them again. And it was just a great way to spend time together. I must've hidden and found those same 12 eggs seven times that day. <laughs> but I think that's what God does with us as he hides these things around and he takes, he takes so much pleasure And watching us find them and discover them as he leads us by the hand and says, hey, check this out. And that's what we get with this book is God taking us by the hand and saying, look how cool this is. And we just continue to get this bigger and bigger picture of God and so much more appreciation for his heart for us. It's yeah, it's something that's never going to run dry. That is a well that will never run dry.
1: Yeah, you're right it is sobering, but it's in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's hard to describe it to completely open it up. It's like I'm reading the Bible again for the very first time. Yes. I'll never look at it the same again when I start to read these stories. Yeah, And uh, yeah, to my, I guess to my shame, you know, I realized that as I started to get into this, that, I did a lot of topical reading. I mean, I do look for things and God is always faithful to show, you know, I guess to meet you where you are to, you know, whatever depth you are, he'll, you know, it's, it's alive obviously, but it's, yeah, it's in the the deep places in those deep studies when, you know, that Blaine did, I mean, good for him. Kudos, man. I mean, he got out the pickaxe and the shovel and spent years. And I think this will be one of those books that, um, you're right. It needs to be required reading. So, yeah, it's yeah. absolutely beautiful.
0: It's good. I'd like to do another episode, like kind of a follow on, just as we continue oh, yeah. to dive further into the book. You know, I'm part way into King David now, and then after that comes uh, Josiah, uh, and then on to Jesus finally. <clears throat> but, uh, like you said earlier, this will absolutely be a book that I go back and oh, yeah. read for a second time and a third time. So, I would love to continue to dive into this together and do a, a part two, whether it's our next episode or, you know, we, we take some more weeks and continue to uh, lovingly work our way through this wonderful piece of literature. Uh, yes. but yeah. Come back and do a part two. I know.
1: I, yeah, you're right. I think we should maybe even a part seven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, there we go.
1: Yeah. When, um, the little things that he brought out too. the little things that I, you know, I've never caught, but when, um, when he calls, um, Oh gosh. When he's talking about, uh, here I am the phrase, here I am is a single word, uh, H I N N E H. It means behold. Mm. and
0: um, Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, which can be, um, at your service. Yes. And, yeah, and it just was stunning to me. In Exodus 3, God calls to Moses, and Moses says, here I am. First Samuel 3, God calls to Samuel, and Samuel says, here I am. And Isaiah 6, the prophet himself stands in the council of God, and here's the question, whom shall I send? Isaiah responds, here I am. So it's a remarkable thing for Abraham to say, uh, God has been looking for this kind of partnership from the beginning, but remember when God called to Adam, Adam said no such thing yeah and that just that broke my heart, but they all responded that same way at your service, yeah at your service, and it's one of those convicting things, you know, yeah, so
0: um, I remember texting you and Preston and Joey about that when I read that part, and I wish now I could pull it up uh quickly, but I know I can't, but yeah, it was just this idea of whatever you have to say, I'm in for it, like I'm all in, I don't even know what you're gonna ask me to do, <laughs> I but here that. I am. That's, I remember that. yeah that's it yeah. what a great response and that comes from walking with god and just knowing him and knowing right. that he's trustworthy and he's good and he's kind and yeah he may call us to some hard things but he's not calling us to go by ourselves he's never he's never left us alone like going back to what uh he might have said you know in blaine's fantastic imagination what he might have said to Adam as he was walking out of the garden is you
1: know. Yeah.
0: The the best hopeful things are ahead of you.
1: Yeah, they're not behind you. They're I know. S- you. Soon the snake crusher will come.
0: Ooh. Yes. I know.
1: Ah. Yeah. Dude,
0: when we get to Jesus, uh this is just gonna be <laughs> we're gonna have to talk every single day and
1: <laughs> I think so. I think so. This is yeah. so good. Well you can see how I mark my book. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've got lots and lots of underlines.
1: I know, and it, the deeper I go, I all I can think of because thank you. You bought this for me and uh I yeah, thank you very much. You're very kind, very generous. Happy to and do so it. as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of all the people like oh, you know, man, who you know, oh this pastor he might he might like it. Know, yeah. So yeah. Cool. It's very right. good.
0: Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for going with us on this. There will be uh, a part two. And yeah, like Rick said, maybe we'll get to uh, a part six or seven. Um, but just such an honor to be here uh, with you. I love our conversations here. And I hope that uh, something we said uh, landed with Definitely. you. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can do so at info at the You can leave comments in the chat or in the the video here. Um, you and I both are on the YouVersion uh, Bible app where we yeah. do daily devotions now with a group of dozens. I think it's
1: yeah. You could almost call it a small church.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's well. uh, bigger than some churches I've been to. <laughs> a little, uh, it's kind of
1: cool. It has very. It's grown. You and I started this over five years ago, faithfully every day. Yep. Yeah, so we would encourage you to join us if you want to and uh there's no set time, it's not a Zoom, it's just a daily devotional and um so a lot of us will comment or, and and some pray, you know, in the comment spaces and yeah. some just come and read and and move on with the rest of their day. But you're always welcome, whether you do it in the morning, during lunch, or right before you go to bed. Yeah. So we'd love to have you look us up on U version or reach out to us here. And uh, we'll point you in the right direction and get you plugged in. And we have people joining us that we've never met. Yep. And, you know, Paul's in Michigan. I'm in Southside, Virginia. Uh, so people are kind of spread out. Jeff is, uh, where's Jeff?
0: Oklahoma, I think. Oh,
1: yeah, Oklahoma. So, yeah, wherever you are, it's we'd love to have you. And uh, we can't leave without saying what we always say.
0: Yes. God is not mad at you.
1: Amen. That's so cool.
0: All right. Thank you, my friend. Love y'all. See you very soon. Love y'all.